to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Um, I'm going to read two, two slides, quite a few verses. So stay with me right now. Uh, listen carefully. Read along carefully. Uh, we're going to read a little bit here, more than we usually do. So stay with us. Acts chapter 2. Um, it is what we read and talked about last time, so it should flow with what we've been talking about already this month. But it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Who was all together? The disciples, the apostles, yeah, they're all together. And, and then it says, Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Everybody say tongues of fire. Yeah, tongues of fire, whatever that is, uh, seemed to, to, that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, there's that word again, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, one of my new favorite words, because each one heard their own language being spoken. If you read this passage for what it is, Acts chapter 2, you'll realize that they name at least 15 plus languages from where people are from. And so people are from like podunk little cities. They're in Jerusalem and they hear people speaking in their own hometown language. And so that's why the word bewilderment is there. They're like, whoa, dude, he's speaking my own language. And then verse 12. So we're still going. So stay with me. Um, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Maybe like the double rainbow guy. What does it mean? Um, Like, because they realize they're like, this is my hometown language and they're speaking it. I'm hearing them in my language. Dude, this guy's hearing it in his hometown language. What does it mean? It's, It's a miracle. But verse 13 says, Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. So him and the eleven, that makes twelve, the twelve disciples. Um, stood, Peter stood and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you su- suppose. It is only nine in the morning, which is an argument that may or may not work for college students. I don't know. Um, but I guess uh, that's not usual to be drunk at nine in the morning. So, uh, duh, they're not drunk. Verse 16, no, this is what was spoken of uh, by Joel the prophet. And then here's what I want you to listen to. It's the fulfillment of this Old Testament book that was written a long time before this. And so Peter is saying this is being fulfilled in in our seeing, in our speaking, in our hearing. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And Peter says, those days are here. That's what's happening. The spirit is being poured out. And the miraculous thing that that people are speaking in languages and you all hear them individually in your hometown language. You know, it's not craziness that's going on. What's going on is the work of the Holy Spirit fulfilled from this Old Testament book a long time ago. So let's pray this morning as we open. God, we do thank you that that you can give us understanding. God, today as we study the book of Acts and your your Holy Spirit and how you, Holy Spirit, work and and give us gifts, God, I I do ask that you would give us understanding, that the understanding of these miraculous things and these awesome things would come from you today, from your word, directly from you, God, that we would know truth today, that we would be filled up with your Holy Spirit. And God, that these words wouldn't just fall onto our minds and we would know more, but God, that we would also be changed and transformed by what we know and what we believe. So God, we believe in you. We we praise you today. We look expectingly at what you will teach us. We love you, Jesus. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. Um, Yeah, as some as you, as some as big, As some of you know, I was uh, raised Catholic as a kid and very traditional, you know, orderly service. And then uh, and somewhere in high school, I started going to a Protestant youth group, which was a very, also very orderly, very more traditional. And um, from, from high school to somewhere in college, I went to various, uh, because I moved around a little bit, went to various Baptist churches or non-denominational churches. All the churches, all my church experience was non-charismatic. 
Some of the churches, I would say, looking back, were probably anti-charismatic and would say like, oh, a charismatic church, they believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That is, by the way, what the word charisma means. In the Greek, it means gift. And so if you're going to a charismatic church, it's a church that believes in the gifts. Um, that, that's, what's, that's what that word means. But So I had no experience going to charismatic churches. Um, in fact, went to some churches that were adamantly anti-charismatic and would say, Oh, if you, if you know, charismatic churches are just emotionalism, and they get wound up with emotions. It's not God; it's emotionalism. And you know, if if they do things like speaking in tongues, that's not for today. And so, if they do that, then it's 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 the work of something else. It's not of God. And they, they may you know say it's the work of the devil, or they may just say, oh, it's emotionalism and silliness and craziness. That's not for us. And so that was my church experience all through high school, and then up until about. Uh, my freshman, sophomore year of college, until I went to my very first charismatic church and saw people raising their hands. That was the first thing I noticed. And I asked myself, why are they raising their hands? Do they have a question? Are they trying to get God's attention? Are they trying to get somebody else's attention? Like, I really, I was like, why is everyone raising their hands? Should I be raising my hands? What is going on? Has anybody else, I mean, it's, if you didn't grow up in a charismatic church, you could probably think back to your first experience at a charismatic church. And if you had thought you knew what church was, and then you came to maybe the mill, which we New Life is a charismatic church, and saw people raising their hands or dancing in church, you're like, what are these crazy people doing? I don't get it. And, and so I came to a charismatic church. For me, it was in uh, a church in, in Florida, in the South, and I had I'd spent the I spent the summer in this in Tallahassee, um, visiting my friend. And I was going to this church, and it was extremely charismatic. Like there's probably a perspective, uh, like a a range of how charismatic churches can be: extremely charismatic, or not that charismatic, or anti-charismatic, way over there. And this church was on the far, like crazy end of charismatic. And so I saw things like uh, being slain in the spirit. Has anybody ever seen that or know what that is? That's like when someone prays for you uh, and they fall over. Uh, maybe you could see it on like uh, like Christian broadcasting networks and school stuff like that where someone gets prayed for then they fall over maybe they lay on the ground and shake or something or maybe uh at a very very charismatic church so you could hear speaking in tongues like just speaking and babbling and you're like what is this i remember so so this is me in college like wondering what in the world is this this is craziness people are falling down um people are speaking in tongues people talked about prophecy and like you know the god speaking to them which was just like whoa this kind of stuff really happens this is weird um this is very weird to me and my experience of what church should be but throughout the course of that summer because i had a trusted friend that was going to that church he was he's kind of prefaced it by you know some of what's happening here is of god you should be open to it you should read the context of scripture and find out you know what god is saying to you and so i said okay yeah i believe in the bible i will read scripture i will look at it i will look into it and i came to the conclusion that um while it's somewhat uncomfortable for me this crazy stuff and people falling down and the idea of speaking in tongues was very weird and strange to me i thought well it's in the bible i I, i'm open to it i'm open to what god would would do in me and so at this particular church if you wanted to get uh baptized in the holy spirit what you did was uh, at the end of the church service you'd go to the front like an altar call and you could get prayed for by the pastor or maybe some of the leaders to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I remember going forward um, at an end of a church service towards the end of the summer, having experienced this charismatic stuff for the first time and at first been very like thrown back and weirded out by it, then more open to it as the summer progressed. And I remember going up front for an altar call, which, which for me was a very big deal. I didn't really do altar calls. And the idea of going forward, you know, if you go forward to a church, sometimes it's very... Um, just weird, like people are looking at you and you think that people are judging you, like what's he going up for? Um, I don't know. And so I had all these pressures and fears. And so I went to the front of the church expecting like, I I didn't know. I mean, I just thought, am I going to fall over when he 
Am I going to pass out and shake on the ground? Am I going to start speaking tongues and not be able to control it? I was somewhat nervous and scared. And what in the world is going to happen to me? Um, and, and so I went forward, and um, I think I'm going to stop the story there. Uh, but I'll come back to the story, because I really want to preface the, the experiences of the Holy Spirit with what we're talking about in the book of Acts. And I really want to preface it with the terminology and a big picture thing of uh, what we're talking about today. So, um, all right. (laughs) Let's talk about some announcements, then we'll do a review, then we'll get back to the big idea, then we'll get back to the story. So, uh, the book of Acts is what we're talking about, have been talking about all this month. Um, we, we're actually going to talk about it another month, which is kind of unprecedented to take two months and talk about a subject. So we're going to come back to it, I believe, in the month of June, if you look at the schedule of the topics we're talking about. And so if it feels like we haven't gotten far in the book of Acts, well, that's because we still have a whole other month to talk about the book of Acts. So uh, that's what we're talking about. Uh, if you're new to the Most Sunday School, welcome. We do love people. We, we do have free coffee and, and food back there. And so that's what kind of what Sunday School is about, where it's not more of a service. We don't do worship. It is more of a teaching. And if you're new, we have on the tables, I think there's little cards that say first time visitor card or something like that. And if you fill it out, bring it to the people as you're leaving uh, out in the lobby. There's a table. They'll greet you. You can hand them the card. They'll hand you um, uh, a CD of some worship music that the mill recorded on a Friday night uh, a little while ago. And so, and that, by the way, is our main meeting. If you haven't been to the mill on a Friday night at 7 o'clock, that's our main service for college and 20-somethings, college and career, whatever maybe your home church used to call it. That's what our group is on Friday nights. So, those are your announcements. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, I love it when he does announcements. <laughs> Thank you. It just makes me feel better. Because for, for those of you that come every week, it's like you hear the same announcement for new people every week. And so, sometimes I feel like, anyways, that's... It helps me. Thank you. Um, let's do a quick review. Um, we've been talking about the book of Acts. A couple weeks ago, we opened up with the idea that we need to do hermeneutics and exegesis. These are very big, fancy words that make you look cool when you say them. Um, but the words hermeneutics and exegesis um, are the ideas that you need to know the background, the, uh, the languages of the scripture, that the idea that Uh, The Bible's not written to you, but it's written for you. So therefore, if it's not written to you, it's written to this ancient culture. You have to get into the understanding of the ancient culture so you could understand it, what it meant for them, so that then you could do interpretation for what it means for you for today. That's, that's big picture stuff of what we've been talking about. You can, by the way, listen to the podcasts uh, that were recorded a couple weeks ago as we introduced this month. So moving right along, we talked about how the kingdom of God, which if you were uh, there at the mill on Friday night, Glenn Packiam just spoke uh, last Friday and talked about the kingdom of God and this big picture idea that's throughout the New Testament, especially throughout the book of Acts, that, that God, when God makes his presence known on earth, when heaven and earth meet and the kingdom of God comes, what does it look like? Well, it looks like some of the things that happen in the book of Acts. When there's a blind man, he can see. When there's a cripple, he can walk. When there's something wrong, it's made right. People receive God and see the, the miracles of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's, we talked about the kingdom of God coming to earth Uh, And we talked about this phrase already, but not yet. The kingdom is here, but not totally fully yet. And so therefore, we can act as if the kingdom is here, um, but still expect that things are are coming, that that, that things are going to be made right. I think I talked about the phrase that the, the book of Acts is like the heaven on earth show. Like when God comes to town, here's the things that happen. Things are made right. Um, the Holy Spirit is poured out on everyone. And things uh, like cripples are made well, etc. Then last week we talked about the birth of the church. And the picture here is of tongues of fire descending on the disciples. It's the passage in Acts chapter 2 that we just read, the story of Pentecost. And I want to slow down right here 
and talk about this because today we're going to continue talking about the charismatic gifts that are throughout the book of Acts. It's hard to read the book of Acts and not think about some of these gifts, the miraculous healings that happen, the prophecies that happen, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues that happens in the book of Acts. And so we need to talk about all that, but we prefaced it last week, a very more foundational lesson than this week's lesson is the idea that the Holy Spirit's gifts that are poured out are not for the gifts themselves. Like the gifts themselves are for the church. And so we talked about last week how Acts chapter 2 must first be interpreted uh, ecclesiologically, meaning uh, we must interpret it as the birth of the church. And then from that interpretation, move to let's look at the gifts themselves. And so I think sometimes uh, we are guilty. I know I may have been guilty before of reading the book of Acts chapter 2 and saying, oh, it's about the gift of tongues being poured out. And it's all about this gift. It's all about the gift. Like, no, more foundationally, it's more about the church that starts and it is formed. And the Holy Spirit empowers the church for, for to go out and be the church. And Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said, wait in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And then we, we just read this passage in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit comes. But Jesus prefaces it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, uh, like he says, wait in Jerusalem, You'll, you, you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So the, the power is for a purpose. The power is to be the witnesses in Jerusalem, the out, out, outer regions of Judea, even further to the north of Jerusalem, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Like the, the disciples will be um, my witnesses, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to help them be witnesses. So the power of the Holy Spirit isn't just for the power of the Holy Spirit. It's for the purpose of being the church and witnessing. Which brings us to last week, um, we prefaced the, uh, the talk with, with some Q&A. I had cards on every table, and I said, if you have any questions, you could write down some of the questions. And I had some questions that were very similar. So I have two stacks of questions here. Uh, the first stack of questions is, was about what did the Holy Spirit do before Pentecost? And then, and then quite a long explanation of like, I understand that the, the Holy Spirit's part of the Trinity, um, et cetera, et cetera. But what was the Holy Spirit's role before Pentecost? And then somebody asked, else asked a very similar question. What was the role of the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. He put his name Demetrius, which is a cool name. So thank you, Demetrius, for the question. Um, so both of those ideas are like, well, what was, if the Holy Spirit was given in the book of Acts chapter 2 to the church at the birth of the church after Jesus ascended into heaven, a couple days later, Pentecost came, the, the Holy Spirit came, which empowered the church to be the church and go witness. Well, what in the world was the Holy Spirit doing before that time? And the simple answer to that question was, the Holy Spirit is, always will be, always was a part of God. The Holy Spirit is God. We can worship the Holy Spirit. He is fully God because we believe that, the whole, that God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But we do think that his role did somewhat change on the earth. That before Jesus even died, he taught that the Holy Spirit would come and, and be a counselor would, would come in power. And then uh, Jesus died and resurre was resurrected and taught his disciples the verse that I just showed you, that, that, that the Holy Spirit would come and empower those for, to be a witness. And so we see in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit showing up, but at times it's just the Holy Spirit comes on someone and they do something, and then it seems like, oh, the, then the Holy Spirit's gone. Whereas in the New Testament, in the fulfillment of that passage that I read of Joel, that the Holy Spirit descends and is poured out. This analogy is uh, of somehow a pouring out of the Holy Spirit on both men and women. And then the Holy Spirit dwells in the lives of believers, which seems to be different than in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit just comes on someone for a time and fills them up. And then maybe the Holy Spirit uh, leaves or fades away or the power fades away or something. There's a lot of analogies that, that seem to me 
that aren't that clear about like how exactly it was working. But that's the big picture, that the Holy Spirit was, of course, God and around in the Old Testament. And it seemed as though he came on people. But then in the New Testament, it's a whole new thing that the Holy Spirit is poured out. And the Holy Spirit dwells in those that believe. And we see that in the book of Acts. And then as we talk about the book of Acts and conclude today, we're going to talk about how the book of Acts, of course, invites us today in 2010 as new lifers to continue the story and realize that the Holy Spirit is still around and being poured out on us as believers. And we can engage and be in part, be a part of the story of the church. And so what we're going to talk about now is the Acts of the Apostles, which of course is the name of the book, the Acts of the Apostles. But we're going to specifically talk about those things that the Apostles did, which is throughout the book of Acts. The, the, that's why it's called the book of Acts, because it's the Acts of the Apostles, what they do. And so if you turn the page from Pentecost, chapter 2, you come to the story of the cripple, which is a really cool story, because Peter and John head to the temple. They see someone begging, a crippled man begging at the temple, asking for money. And of course, in the ancient context, there was no, like, welfare or handicapped parking spaces or cool inventions like wheelchairs and things that could help um, crippled individuals. So they were left destitute, left begging on the streets. And so um, Peter and John, that's inter- the story is just fascinating. You could read it later in Acts 3. They say, look at us. And it says the man looked at them because he thought he was going to get some money. But then Peter and John turn to the man and say the famous line, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And so he gets up. This crippled man stands up. He's been crippled his whole life. And he gets up and he walks. And it's like, dude, sweet. You don't even need gold or silver because now you're walking and and your whole life is going to change from here on out. And it's like, wow, this story it happened. It really happened. It was recorded. This is an awesome act of the apostle. And we can get this idea that the book of Acts is just kind of watching the apostles do their things. And so the apostle shows up and miraculous stuff happens. Like, oh, wow, the apostles are putting on a show wherever they go. And it's, oh, cool. Let's look at the apostles and see how they work and see what they do. And some of the book of Acts is that. Like, the apostles show up and, you know, miraculous things happen. But what I see in the book of Acts is the apostles show up and miraculous stuff happens and it happens around them and concerning them. And also other people are invited into the story and also receive the Holy Spirit. And they also can can perform miraculous things like prophecies or, or the gift of tongues is poured out on other people, not just the apostles. And so we're going to read three different stories that are throughout the book of Acts. Acts 8, 10, and then 19 a little larger passages of Scripture, three different stories of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and when the apostles show up, it's not just, hey, look at the apostles and look at the show they're putting on. It's, wow, the apostles showed up, and now I am included in the mystery of the Holy Spirit acting inside of us, and we're a part of the show as well, figuratively speaking. So Acts chapter 8. So we're going to look at three different stories. Acts chapter 8. Uh, Starting in verse 14, here we go. It says, When the apostles in Jerusalem, so they're still in Jerusalem, heard that in Samaria, Samaria is an area north of Jerusalem, so they heard that in Samaria they had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And then when they arrived, when Peter and John arrived to Samaria, they prayed for them. Who did they pray for? Well, the ones that heard of God and accepted the word. So they arrive, they pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to talk about this weird character, Simon the sorcerer, who is not a Christian, but he kind of makes money off of sorcery. (coughs) Verse 8 says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also uh, give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. He wanted to make some cash um, off the gift that he saw 
being given. And so look at this story carefully. You will see that there were believers, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Peter and John come. There's something called the laying on of hands, right? Which, which just means, as far as I understand, just lay, literally putting your hand on someone's shoulder or head and, and praying for them. Um, and then they received the Holy Spirit. Does it say anything about tongues or prophesying or anything else? This passage, it doesn't. Oh, we could, what, what we have to assume is that something happened because when Peter saw that the Spirit was given. So what did he see? I don't know. It, it's, we could assume the gifts of tongues. We could assume um, prophecy. We could assume anything. But you know the joke about the word assume and how you spell it, right? I'm not going to say it. This is church. Hello. But here's a picture of it. So imagine it. There's believers. They truly believe in, in Jesus, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And p- there's the picture of Peter and John laying hands on them. And then the, the, the figure all in dark, kind of creepy looking, is probably Simon saying, dude, give me this gift so I can make some sweet cash. I'll give you some cash. And, and he pretty much gets rebuked because of that, uh, if you read the rest of that story. Um, but what we see here is this, that, that a lot of, some charismatics, um, and maybe many charismatics, I don't know, would, would look at this passage and say, look, someone can be a Christian and believe in Jesus, accept the word of Jesus, and not yet have the Holy Spirit until maybe hands are laid on, and then they will receive the Holy Spirit. Which is it's just a, like, if, you're, if that's your interpretation, that this could potentially be the passage you would turn to and say, look, this is how it works. This is the formula. You believe in Jesus, then you get hands laid on by someone, and then you receive the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. That's the formula. But what I'm going to teach in here and and show you with two other passages is that there's really no formula for how it has to work. In fact, I really like the way New Life Church, um, uh, if you go to newlifechurch.org and you click around like about us, and then you click on the statement of beliefs, you will see that New Life has a, a short statement about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And here's what they say. Uh, this, it says, uh, so this is our church, what we believe, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is subsequent or at the same time as conversion. So when you convert to, and follow Jesus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit could be a subsequent, meaning at a different time, or it could be at the same time as conversion. I like how New Life leaves that open and doesn't formulate uh, a formula. It's like, here's how it has to work. It, you know, you believe and it has to be a second experience. No, we just say it could be subsequent or the same time of conversion. And then it goes on to say the baptism of the Holy Spirit releases the fullness of the Spirit. And it can be evident with tongues, joy, praise, other inward and outward manifestations uh then the the sentence the gifts of the spirit always operate in harmony with the scripture and should never be used in violation of biblical parameters and i I like this idea that it doesn't say here is how it works this is the equation because let's turn to another passage acts chapter 10 if you want to read this later it's kind of acts chapter 10 towards the end we're going to read just a few verses here of this passage Acts chapter 10, verse 44. This is a whole different story. This is Peter um, at Cornelius' house. If you know the story, Cornelius is a Gentile, meaning not Jewish. And uh, so he's he's like some sort of governor or leader. And uh, Peter is at his house, got invited to speak there. And so here it says, Peter was still speaking these words. The context is he's preaching to them. (coughs) And it says that the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message, the circumcised believers. You know what that means? (laughs) Sure you do. It means the Jewish believers, the Jewish ones that received the the circumcision mark of Abraham and the promise. So the Jewish people uh, who... uh, So, anyways, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, even on the non-Jews, even on the unclean, even on those that haven't even been circumcised. Can you imagine? They couldn't. They were astonished. Um, it's, it's a totally... And so that, that's... 
I mean, we're kind of going back to hermeneutics and exegesis here and saying this doesn't make any sense because, like, who cares about circumcision, non-circumcision? What is that? Who cares? Um, But in the ancient world, in the Jewish culture, that was an extremely big deal. Circumcision was a part of the tradition that you were, in fact, Jewish and clean and believing in the Old Testament. And when when they're just amazed that the Holy Spirit was even poured out on non-Jewish people. And then 46... For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And so can you imagine it really quickly? Peter is just speaking, uh, preaching. I I imagine, maybe I'm not imagining it correctly, but I imagine Cornelius' house. Houses were small back then. I imagine people crammed in to this ancient little house. uh, Maybe a one room kind of house. I don't know. I'm just totally making it up because I'm imagining it in my head. But I'm imagining a crowded little room. Peter speaking, and then as he's speaking, it says, you know, there wasn't people laying hands on them or praying for them, uh, like in the other story we just read, but they just start speaking in tongues and praising God, and the people there are like, wow, even the Holy Spirit's been poured out on these uh, non-Jewish people. And then Peter said, 47, can anyone keep these uh, people from being baptized with water? So they hadn't even been baptized with water, they were just listening to the message Uh, And then it says, they received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so that formula for how it happens in Acts chapter 10 seems to be very different than the Sumerian example in Acts chapter 8. Peter's just speaking, they start speaking in tongues and praising God, which is interesting because I wonder if maybe some of them in the room were speaking in tongues and others of them were praising God, or were they all speaking in tongues and praising God? I don't know. Once again, you have to assume. And I don't want to have to tell the joke about assuming and how it's spelled because this is church. So, one more example. So pay, pay attention. Stay with me. This is the last example um, the, the, that we're going to read in here in the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter 19. Another example of the Holy Spirit coming, being poured out on the people that were around. And so, Acts chapter 19. It says, while, uh, starting in verse 1, While Apollos was in Corinth, Apollos and Paul were traveling together, but Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, which is a city uh, outside somewhere of Corinth. Then he found some disciples. So he calls them disciples. Like disciples, fellow believers maybe, or we're about to find out more about them. Uh, verse 2, he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So it's a, it's a question. Like, did you, you know, you, you're believers, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They answered, no. We had not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Interesting. You know, so here Paul's arriving in Ephesus. Um, there's some disciples there. He, he says, oh, sweet, you guys are believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? No, we don't even know what it is. Verse 3, so Paul asked, well, then, you know, what in the world? The, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was the baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So basically, comes, Paul goes to Ephesus, finds some disciples, and they just believe in John's baptism, which is of repentance. They don't yet know about Jesus. Uh, verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of Jesus. So maybe they, you know, they would talk about that as their official conversion or one step along more in the process. You know, they already knew about repentance, but they didn't hear about Jesus. And then uh, verse 6 says, When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So here's the story again. Some, some somewhat believers, they believe in the... Uh, and the, the baptism of John, and then Paul, you know, that idea of laying hands on again, whether it's their head or shoulder or back, I don't know, praying for them. They received the Holy Spirit, and then what's it say? They spoke in tongues and, and prophesied. The, the passage we just read said when, when Peter was speaking at Cornelius' house, those people spoke in tongues and praised God. Here in Acts chapter 19, they're speaking in tongues and prophesying. And, and so it's, it's a little bit different every single time the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon someone, however it seems to be worded sometimes a little differently, there's no set formula, which is kind of a bigger point that we're going to get to today. So in your notes, um, I think the next point is, uh, what is tongues? Question mark. We're, we're going to skip 
that for now, and we're actually going to change the order of things. Sorry for those of you that are very serious about taking notes. It's out of order. I decided to change the order after I sent the notes to the guy that makes the note things. Um, so we're going to talk about charismatic stuff. So we're out of order. Sorry for all of you that are whatever type personality that's uh, freaking out right now. Um, so let's talk about charismatic stuff, which is right in line with, you know, we're talking about the book of Acts. How can we not talk about charismatic once again, that word means the gifts. How can we not talk about it? Um, last week, we talked about how sometimes we want to draw this line between charismatic churches and non-charismatic churches and say that, oh, charismatic churches do this, 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 and this. And non-charismatic churches do this, this, this. And they hate each other. And that's not true. They, they, we're all Christians. There needs to be unity. And, and there's lots of um, I, I put it up last time that there's maybe the white isn't so white and the black isn't so black and there's lots of gray area in between between charismatic churches and non-charismatic churches. Um, like I think about in my own history of going to church, I went to a lot of non-charismatic churches that would, maybe they wouldn't call it prophecy, but they would talk about, you know, I feel like the Lord is leading us in this direction. Well, great, that's, that's awesome, but call it what it really is. You know, if you're really saying you believe God is leading you in a certain direction, then that, call it what it is. That's prophecy by kind of a definition of, the loose definition at least of prophecy. Or we would, uh, at a non-charismatic church, I remember uh, praying for sick people and believing that God would heal them of cancer or w- whatever. I remember praying for people. And it was like, well, you know, if God really healed them, if he really answered that prayer, then that would be a miracle. But But you... Non-charismatic churches don't believe in miracles for today, and it's a yeah, we don't believe in miracles for today. But why then? Why in the world are you praying for people to get healed then? Um, and so they were like, well, I didn't think about that. Well, well, think about it. Um, and so there, there's not really a line that can say, oh yeah, charismatic churches are this, non-charismatic churches are like that, um, except for, and in my opinion, this is just my opinion, kind of except for the the big, you know. But, not literal, but figurative, the big but is when it comes to the gift of tongues. Because that seems to be like charismatic churches like, yeah, we believe in the gift of tongues for today. And and the line is usually pretty dark between, oh, you know, a non-charismatic church would say, yeah, that, that's for crazy people. If you're a tongue-talking church, then then we're not a tongue-talking church. Um, and tongue-talking churches, that's either of the devil or that's emotionalism. We don't believe in that stuff. We are not a tongue-talking church, whereas the church maybe across the street is a tongue-talking church. And that's in some way becomes for us as Americans in 2010, thinking about the church context and wanting to draw these lines and divisions, because that's what we do, because we're Americans. We want everything to be nice and neat in little packages. That, for so many of us, is the line. Like, the gift of tongues is like, oh, that's it. Either you're a tongue-talking church or you're not a tongue-talking church. Um, and that seems to be the line. And I don't think it should be the line. I don't think the gift of tongues, it seems like it's that big of a deal in the book of Acts. It's more of the, you know, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And it seems like things usually go along with the, the gift of tongues. Like they spoke in tongues and prophesied, or they spoke in tongues and praised God, or they spoke in tongues and the people heard them in their own language and they were speaking the mysteries of God and telling them about Jesus. So it's not just tongues for tongues sake, it's tongues for a purpose and, and a witness or etc. So <sighs> I want to give you a discussion question. And figuratively let the figurative cat out of the figurative bag. Or figuratively open the figurative can of figurative worms. And ask you all the question. And maybe allow you to, to uh, get a partner or form up. I mean, I, we, I think, you know, we do discussion enough in Mill Sunday School that I think it's important. I don't think it's just a time to hang out or go to the bathroom. Uh, I think it's time to really engage this and listen to the fellow people at your seat or give your own opinion. So the question is, um, hopefully taking it seriously, I prefaced it enough, and you can like go to a bigger table and bigger tables, be nice to littler tables and let them in um, and be nice to everybody. Just be nice for goodness sakes. Anyways, um, the question, how can Christians, how can Christians interpret the gift of tongues for today? So how can they? Well, like, there's lots of different options of how you can interpret the gift of tongues. And if you want, you can, if you have time, you can talk about how maybe you interpret the gifts of tongues for today. So, 
figuratively let the figurative cat out of the figurative bag, okay? Ready, get set, go! All right, if you could, I'm sorry to interrupt your conversations. I'm sure they're really good. They sound good from here um, that you're engaging this topic and, and thinking about the gift of tongues for today. Um, and, and I wanted to do big discussion and hear from some of you, but I don't think we have time. It's already 10.20, only giving us like 10 more minutes to, to chat. And I wanted to talk about more about looking at the context of Scripture, asking this question, what is tongues? Um, from a totally biblical standpoint, like if all we had was the Bible, we didn't have charismatic churches, we didn't have non-charismatic churches, we just had the Bible, what kind of conclusions would we talk about the gift of tongues? And we could, since we're, you know, Sunday school and we talk about Greek and the, the historical context and stuff, I can give you the word for the gift of tongues. Does anyone know? It starts with a G. I heard it, but no one ever wants to yell it. Because if you're wrong and you yell the wrong thing, then it's like, dude, I was an idiot. So I understand. The, the word is glossolalia. Did you know that? Have you heard that before? Glossolalia or just glossia, which is the word, Greek word for tongue. And the, the, the ending lalia is the, the lego or uh, to say. So to speak in tongues, glossolalia, kind of two, two words. Or sometimes it's referred to as xeno glossolalia, which is xeno is a foreign speaking in tongues, speaking in foreign tongues. Or in Acts chapter 2, it's hetero is the word, meaning different. And so hetero glossolalia, speaking in other tongues. But the Greek word glossolalia, glossolalia can mean five different things. Just like, I think it's a good word, a good translation into the English, because the English word tongue can also mean five different things from the at least from the context of Scripture. So let's quickly look at it. The first one is kind of the duh. Um, a tongue could be like a literal tongue in your mouth. Everyone say, uh. all right. So it could be like in James chapter 2, it says the tongue is a small part of the body, saying like literally the red thing in your mouth. So kind of a duh, and the next one's kind of a duh. Uh, it could be just a, a, a language, nothing spiritual about it. Um, just an, it's used in the context of Scripture. Um, just like today, there's Chinese language. You could say, oh, the Chinese dialect or the Chinese language, the Chinese tongue. You could say that. be weird, but you could. Um, so it could just be a regular language, number one. And number two, nothing miraculous or spiritual or religious about them. But three, four, and five are going to be. So if you're taking notes, um, maybe write these down, at least three, four, and five, because I think... These are three different uses throughout the, the Bible of the word glossolalia or glossia, that it's, it's different, three different things, a little bit different every time. So number three, a speaking a language, so a language, an actual language, like number two, is a language without learning it though. So it's spiritual or it's miraculous because like in Acts chapter 2, the passage that we read starting off today, they spoke in languages they had never learned. And so it, it does bring up the question, where was the miracle? Was it in the speaking or was it in the hearing of those that heard? I don't know. Uh, we have to assume, and I'm not going to say the joke again because I don't swear in church. Um, but a, a language, you speak a language without learning it. So that's the speaking of tongues like happened in Acts chapter 2, sometimes referred to as xenoglossolalia, speaking in foreign languages, never learning them. Number four, in unintelligible speech. So this isn't a language. This is an unintelligible speech needing uh, interpretation. I'm going to say, if you're, if you're writing down notes, I didn't have room to put it, but I'm going to say needing spiritual interpretation, that you have to somehow pray that this unintelligible language that you're saying out loud, probably in a group, is, is needing an interpretation because no one understands. It's not actually a language. It's unintelligible speech. And I have a few verses. If you're writing down the verses, you can write down 1 Corinthians 14, 6. 14, 6 uh, Paul says, Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, glossia, what good will that be to you unless I bring some sort of revelation or knowledge or prophecy, a word of instruction? So speaking in tongues is worthless because no one understands what it is. It's, it seems like it's not really a real language. Or if you're writing down verses to look at later, 1 Corinthians 14, 9. 
14.9. So it is with you, unless I speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Um, And then, so it's just like, it's unintelligible language. You're speaking out loud. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.13, if you're writing down verses, 14.13, says, For this reason, anyone who speaks in tongues should pray that he may interpret what he says. So if you're speaking, so this seems to be different to me than someone, for example, a missionary going to China and speaking Chinese, having never learned Chinese, and the Chinese people are like, dude, he's speaking our language like in a perfect dialect. That's weird. He's never learned it. Because it it says like, you should pray that you interpret what you say. It doesn't say you should study the language in which you're speaking. It seems to be an out loud, unintelligible language different than that in Acts chapter 2 where people are hearing it in their own language. Does it seem to be different to you as well? seems to be different to me. So, and the, and the fifth one is something that we call a prayer language. And uh, the word, and I put it in quotations, prayer language, because prayer language, that term is not found in the Bible. Um, but it's something that we talk about. And if you have hung around New Life Church long enough, you will probably know that we are a charismatic church, meaning that we do believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. And so when many of us talk about speaking in tongues, we might often say the phrase, oh, it's our prayer language. It's praying in kind of babble that we believe is a prayer language. And so here's some verses. If you're writing verses down, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, 14, 14. Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, so that's the idea of praying in tongues, a prayer language. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So it's the idea, you don't know what you're saying, but you're praying in a tongue. Or if you're writing down verses to look at later, 1 Corinthians 14.2, 14.2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, which is like, dude, wait a minute, that's different than Acts chapter 2, because they were speaking to men, Having not learned a language, they spoke in unknown languages, but the language was understood to the people from different places. So that's different. Um, indeed, <coughs> I'm continuing to read. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. And, and so it's like, well, that seems to be different than speaking to someone else. You're uttering mysteries with your own spirit. It seems to be what is we at New Life may call, and some of your friends may call, a prayer language, or what some of you may call a prayer language. And so going back to the story, which I promised I would do, going back to the church that I went to, uh, my very first charismatic experience of, of going to this church where they raised their hands, where there was people like getting prayed for, then falling over, slain in the spirit. It was all new to me. People speaking in tongues, people talking about prophecies, people giving prophecies. It was all new to me. I was like, uh, okay, I'm, I, I want this. It's, it seems like it's from God. It's in the Bible. Why not? I went forward on an altar call, all nervous, not sure if I was going to get prayed for and, and fall over or lay on the ground and scream and like holy roller around. I had no idea what was going to happen to me. I went forward. The pastor said, how can I pray for you? I said, I would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, okay. He said, I'm going to lay my hand on you, put his hand on my shoulder. And he started speaking in tongues, like babbling. And then he said, um, would you pray this prayer after me? And so I said, okay. And he said, uh, I want you, Holy Spirit. I want you, Holy Spirit, to come into my life, to come in. And so I just prayed this very simple prayer. And then after he was done praying, do you know what happened? Nothing. I was like, dude, I, was, I wanted to fall over and scream and, and speak in tongues and and not know, I was like, man, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I had all these expectations of what was going to happen, and nothing happened. And so that's, that's the story you've been waiting for, huh? <laughs> Brutal. And so I don't want to just end it there, because I did, I was, I, and, then, and then it's just like, I felt so dumb, because then after the service, we went out to lunch, and people were like, so, I, went, I saw you go forward for prayer. It's like, yeah, I wanted the Holy baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, well, so? And they're like, well, nothing happened. And I just felt like such an idiot because then they're like, oh, nothing happened. I guess, I guess you're not spiritual enough. I don't, they didn't say that. They did not say that. But that's what I felt. You know, I just felt like, gosh, I'm not spiritual enough or something. And so the next week, though, I, I want to conclude with what did happen the next week, for me at least. Um, I went forward again 
And uh, the pastor prayed for me again. Again, nothing really happened. And he, he just looked at me and said, Joe, why don't you go to the other room? There was, uh, we were in this like one meeting place, and there was like a little chapel next door, uh, where a little tiny chapel where weddings happened and stuff like that. And there was nobody in there because there was no weddings going on. So I went in there all by myself, and I just sat down and, and prayed to God. And I said, God, would you give me the gifts that I, I, I so desperately want, and I want to know you more? And it's in that room sitting on, I think I was sitting on the altar that I was just like, I'm going to give it a try. And I started kind of babbling and like just kind of saying nonsensical things. And for me, and this is my story, this isn't your story because again, there's no formula. Um, For me, I just felt the presence of God. And so for me, it was like, oh, wow, I felt this before. Here it is. I just feel like I don't even want to open my eyes. I feel like if I did, there would be God standing in front of me. That's just how I felt. And so I talk about it as a feeling, as a presence, as something that took faith for me to experience. And so that's kind of me. That's my story. That's what I believe. So I um, uh, believe in gifts for today. Um, Going back to this idea, you know, we want to formulize it. We can't formulize it. That, that, That there's whatever happened for me you know, may not happen for you. And whatever happened in Acts chapter 2 is different for the Acts chapter 8 people. It's different for the Acts chapter 10 people. And it's different from the Acts chapter 19 people. And so there's no set equation. And so um, I was going to go back to some of these cards, but we're kind of running out of time. It's just, it's, some of the questions are about like, you know, does everyone have a spiritual gift? Can you have more of a gift or less than a gift? Sure. You know, there's no equation. Why not? Um, and then this person asks, uh, I, I say I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but my problem is with the churches that have an emphasis on tongues. Yeah, me too. I, I, I don't think we should be emphasizing this weird little gift. Um, and then, you know, what do you specifically believe about the Holy Spirit? Uh, what do you believe? Declare your personal beliefs explanation point. And so I feel like I did. Um, I believe in the gifts for today. And as we conclude, I've concluded every week this month with this picture of, of someone pointing back at us. Because I think in so many ways, the book of Acts does that. It's not like read the book of Acts and, and watch how the apostles did their thing. But it's read how the stories of the apostles, when the apostles showed up, they spread the good news of Jesus. And when Jesus showed up, the Holy Spirit was there and people interacted with the Holy Spirit and received gifts themselves. And it's not like we read the stories and say, oh, look how cool it is that God used to act and worked. No, God is alive. He's active today and he's engaging us to enter into the story of the church as, as we look back and say, you know, these are our spiritual grandparents that were existed way before we did, but we are now a part of the story for today. And so it's with that that let's close in prayer this morning. And God, we just tell you to, to continue doing what you want to do in our lives. God, we are open to your direction. God, we are open to your gifts. God, we are open even right now that, God, you would, you would give us new things, that you would fill us up with, with gifts of the Spirit, no matter how um, interesting or weird we might think that they are. God, if they are from you, then we want them, God. Give us prophecies and visions and, and the gifts of speaking in tongues and this baptism of the Holy Spirit. God, give it to us. We want it if it is from you, and we want only what is from you. So, God, we, we praise you. We do worship you. And everybody said, Amen. All right, friends, thanks for coming this morning. Peace out. Next time, we will be talking about world religions. Peace.